0: Alright, welcome everyone. I'm Neil Pollack. I am the Editor-in-Chief of Book and Film Globe. Uh, And just a uh, little notification here, we are going to be recording this week's episode for potential use as a future podcast. So this is something new we're trying. Just wanted to let you know in case you're going to be speaking on on this week's Week in Review, you're going to be recorded. And uh, I legally have to say that So please don't be uh, scared or intimidated. We will uh, kick off this week's show with uh, a little song. I like to to treat people to music. music, uh, Music makes the world go round, makes people happy. I'd like to be under the sea In an octopus's garden in the shade All right, that is the Beatles, of course, Octopus's Garden, one of the uh, few uh, Beatles songs written and uh, fronted by Ringo Starr. Uh, his, his songs uh, had very little substance, but were always very whimsical, much like this year's Oscar-nominated uh, documentary, uh, My Octopus Teacher, which we will be discussing in a little bit later. Anyway, this is Book and Film Globe's Week in Review. Like I said, I'm Neil Pollack, the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe. Our website covers uh, the world of literature and of film and of streaming television and occasionally other things as well. We uh, are the greatest culture site in the history of the internet, and we bow to no one, much like King Kong himself. And here we are. All right, let's move along. Uh, I wrote a piece, and I think maybe the the, the guys on stage are more uh, interested and qualified to comment on this one about the uh, the uh, demise of Los Angeles's uh, ArcLight theater and Pacific Theater change the chain, which uh, they announced this week would would not be reopening uh, because of COVID nineteen. Uh, yet another casualty in the movie theater industry. We've been covering this extensively, and this is something that I do have some. Uh, some knowledge about. It. I've been writing writing a lot of articles about how movie theaters have been closed during COVID nineteen, and about how uh, the movie industry, the film, the theater going industry in particular, has been extremely vilified, It's more vilified than any industry except for maybe restaurants and schools, uh, blamed in some ways for uh, the spread of COVID nineteen, even though most movie theaters were closed. Any time I posted that I had gone to the movies, and I've been to the movies a number of times. During the pandemic, uh, people w- will post on Facebook or whatever that, that they would n- not risk their lives. Um, I would not risk my life to go see Russell Crowe in Unhinged. Um, I, you, you risk your life being in Unhinged with Russell Crowe. Uh, <laughs> uh, Stephen Garrett, you have, you have some comments? Do you, you ever go to the Arclight?
1: Uh, I, uh, when I lived in L.A., uh, it did not exist. Mm -mm. Um, and so when I visited, uh, over the past 20 years, I would go, uh, (laughs) occasionally, I I remember seeing, uh, the Hateful Eight was playing there because it was one of the few places that was playing it. Uh, and I remember the last, the last, maybe the last time I was in LA, I went to go see Avengers Infinity War at the or Cinerama Dome, um, which in hindsight looks like a really good call.
0: The IMAX that's not an IMAX, the Cinerama Dome. What 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 a what a great place to see a, a movie. Um, yeah, I know the Hateful Eight is also. Did you see the Hateful Eight at the Dome as well, or just at the regular Arc Light?
1: It was down in the basement somewhere. Yeah, it wasn't in uh, it wasn't in the Dome for whatever well, well, reason. I, I can't quite remember.
0: I lived in LA um, in the in the aughts for a few years, and you know the Light was the. I mean, I guess I'd, I'd been to the Alamo Craft House in Austin, but. The, in, at that time, the Alamo was still pretty ratty. Uh, the ArcLight was w- one of the first uh, theater chains to really go with the reserved seating and the comfortable chairs, and the be quiet during the movies, and the decent concessions. You know, they really, uh, really were uh, a, um, a trailblazing. You know, even though they were, it was a small chain, they, they they changed the way the industry operates and and the way people you know people in L.A. have fairly high standards for going to the movies. They they they're in the industry, they actually want to watch the movie and not talk to their friends during the movie or they wanna um or they wanna applaud when their friends' names appear in the credits.
1: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um,
0: yeah, and so Uh, you know, I don't know. I I a couple of things. Like I was upset to hear that the arc light had gone under because, you know, I've been screaming to no one, mostly in my backyard, that movie theaters should be open this whole time. And this was you know, and no one listened. No one paid attention to me, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, and there, and there, down goes the arc leg, down goes Fraser, um, yeah. and, and you know, and then of course you have all the all the swells in Hollywood being like, oh, I'm totally, I'm gutted, I'm heartbroken, you know, I just, i wonder, it's a wonder if people have guts left. They're so gutted, all right,
1: right, right, exactly. I mean, I remember here in New York, uh, living through the demise of um, the uh, Ziegfeld, which you know, I could have never imagined it not being around, and then suddenly it was gone. And uh, But I also remember sitting yeah. and seeing, I think, Planet of the Apes when it was playing at uh, the Ziegfeld and thinking to myself, because at the time I was also living, well, I still am now, living on the Upper West Side closer to uh, Lincoln Square, which has a big IMAX screen. And I just remember being at the Ziegfeld looking at uh, Planet of the Apes thinking, man, I wish I was at the IMAX screen. The screen is so much bigger and the sound is so much better, you know? So, I mean, right. even, I mean, I have a lot of great memories of seeing movies at the Ziegfeld because it's so fun to see a movie with, you know, 1,500 or 2,000 people. Um, how can you not have good memories of that? Uh, but, uh, yeah, these things come and go. And like you're saying, you got to use it or lose it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we shouldn't take these things for granted. We, sh- we shouldn't assume anything is permanent. And, you know, we should just certainly enjoy it while it's there and use it. As much as we can, and support it as much as we can. I mean, um, I think this coming week is going to be the first week where I'm I'm really going to start to regularly venture out to theaters in the city here. Yeah. So that I could see stuff and and right. you know go see the Paris. You know, I want to see. I thank God Netflix swooped in and bought the Paris Theater, which was this you know mid century jewel box theater uh, in a very Tony section of, of Midtown, right off Fifth Avenue, right next to the Plaza. And, um, you know, that was basically on its on uh, running on fumes for years until Netflix was like, fine, we'll we'll we'll, you know, we'll buy this money pit and we'll just play our, our movies as vanity um, sort of affairs for our filmmakers to make them happy. The same that they're doing with the Egyptian, you know, and which some people so, so, already said maybe that'll happen with the Arclight or at least with the Cinerama Dome, which I think right. it makes maybe more sense for Apple to do it or Amazon since they don't really have a marquee, literally a marquee theater, you know, right. in L.A. Right.
0: Right, so you know, okay. So movie theaters are not dead. You, you, you were, you said that you wrote a piece for us at the beginning of the pandemic. Movie theaters are going to survive. I, I, and, I, and I, I take it that you are, you know, if you are going out, you are you have received the jab. Yes, of some, uh, I yes. have gotten jabbed. Yeah. I have also. I'm also fully jabbed. Uh, Although I, I, again, I was going to the movies before then because the movie theaters were empty. I mean, I was. I was. was Like I've never felt safer in my life than I have uh, sitting in a movie theater alone on Martin Luther King Day watching that MLK uh, FBI (laughs) documentary. I mean, there's no one else on earth who was going to go see that movie on that day in Austin. Yeah. uh, Yeah. But but in in any case, um, I agree with you that these things do come and go. Uh, but the demise of the arc, you know, the Light wasn't like a, an aging movie palace. It was a oh, thriving no. yeah. chain as recently as February of 2020. And you know, my my point that I was trying to make was that it is uh, it was not killed by the virus. The virus doesn't didn't infect projectors, you know, or like popcorn right. or whatever. Yeah. You know, it was the demise of that movie theater chain was a just was a result of, um, you know, a variety of factors, but political decisions and fear mongering about the actual act of going to the movies among them. And I posted that on my Facebook and I had people screaming at me that I was a murderer and that I didn't understand the economics of the industry and that, you know, how, how could I be so irresponsible? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I just. I just don't see it. Like I per- I mean, I understand that, that people didn't want to get sick, um, but it's not like they were showing movies in, in nursing homes or hospitals.
1: Right, right. That's I mean, look, opinion. I think it was controversial. It was, it was also, don't. look, I mean, uh, over the past year, there haven't been a lot of movies to see in theaters aside from like, if you want to see like a revival of Back to the Future, whatever the hell old movies they were bringing back to try to lure people into movie theaters. Um, right. so you can't really yeah, fault but that's all people
0: part for not of, going. That's all part of that Right, but because that's because the industry was was like withholding product. You know, it was like that's right. all part of the it right. was all part of this of of this ecosystem. Um I just right. I, I I'm fascinated by the movies that they did release during the pandemic, you know, the sort of the the z <laughs> the, the Z the Z list uh, you know uh thrillers, the 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 the, the freaky you saw Freaky. You reviewed that for right, us. Right,
1: right, right, right. Universal.
0: Well, I think it's really more NBC Universal, right? Universal and
1: also Focus yeah. Features, which is owned by Universal, were very theater uh dedicated. And I think yeah. they were just thinking nobody else is opening it. We'll have the whole place to ourselves, and maybe we'll lose money, but it's better than nothing. Um, yeah, and we'll certainly get attention. Things. Yeah. You know. I mean, they still move fats and furious. Like they're no fools. <laughs> but they don't care if Promising Young Woman right. doesn't you know, make a ton of money because they're not expecting it to
0: right yeah so uh yeah i understand the i understand the economics of it i just i just found. Yeah. i just found the whole thing annoying you know it's like uh where are the movies
1: <laughs>
0: what happened yeah. i felt like yeah. like fred willis's character in in uh, a mighty win what, what, happened? <laughs> what happened Well hopefully
1: somebody'll come in i'd hate to think fred, that fred it has Willard, to be a...
0: fred Willis. Our...
1: yeah i mean look the arc light was amazing i mean it you was... know i remember Thinking, oh, Jesus, reserved seats and gourmet food is never going to fly. Like, people just want to buy popcorn and watch a movie. But, you know, it it gained traction. Um, So I I can't imagine. And it was so beloved, you know, for the past 20 years that it's been around. When did it start? Like in 2000, 2001? and uh, I, like I that. would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be surprised if somebody doesn't. I mean, you know, like I think they didn't. They talked to Tim League at the Alamo Draft House, who was kind of surprised they didn't file for Chapter Eleven and just reorganize and restructure so that they could still, you know, be a viable business and and survive. Yeah. They just went ahead and closed, you know, without any discussion, which does seem pretty sudden and pretty final and pretty premature for something like you were saying. Yeah, He's not an old archaic. Outdated theater. It was definitely, and it's still, very much in its prime, and very beloved by you know. Yeah,
0: and, and uh, home to a lot of Hollywood premieres, et cetera, et cetera. I would, and I want to add well, real quick before uh, we move along. Um, I, I do my my Latin, I obviously don't live in Los Angeles anymore, so the you know the Alamo is sort of my uh, my daily diet of of, of movie theaters. Uh, but like the ArcLight was when I lived there. The last time I saw a movie at the ArcLight, it was the one in Sherman Oaks in the mall, the Galleria over there. Ah. Uh, my uh, sister lives near there, and, and my my sister lives over in, in that part of part of the of the of the valley. And I went. I, I have a niece who's going to film school in the fall. God help her. And <laughs> uh, I uh, I went with her. She's 15 years old, and my brother in law. We went to see the Florida Project. Oh nice. <laughs> at, at the Arc. You know, and and that's you know the Florida project is is is, is not um it's not a big that was an Oscar nominated movie, but it was kind of a difficult idiosyncratic you know look at um, people on the margins of society, and you know and it was just it happened to be playing like down the street from their house, and you know so when when movie theaters go out of business, that kind of experience. Of seeing a movie like that for a young asp- aspiring film student who who I realize are a dime a dozen in Los Angeles, um, you know, that, that that goes away, too. And so, you know, these 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 kinds of things uh, get lost. And I think we just have to I don't know. I just wish we'd taken some, some of that stuff into account. Yeah. My, like, mm-hmm. my, you know, why, did, why didn't people who made COVID policy take into account my niece's desire to go see movies? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, All I right. mean, I think uh, there's keep-
1: clearly an appetite, right? I mean, if, if Godzilla vs. Kong proved anything, it's that people, even if they can watch it at home, they don't want to. They actively do not want to. Um, you know, so I think there's yeah. there's definitely and, a yeah. hunger, we, like you're saying. I think people yeah. want to go. I think people are feeling safer and more emboldened. And I, I think now that films are really going to be released in theaters, I think people are more likely to come back and, and make it viable again.
0: I hope. Godzilla versus Kong was fucking awesome, too. You know, that, that, that scene where King Kong <laughs> attacks Godzilla with his magical nuclear axe. <laughs> My God.
1: Yeah, it was surreal. I mean, the whole thing is just a very trippy. Trippy, nonsensical mess, but uh, it's thrilling.
0: God, I saw it on an eye. You go, you go for
1: the fight. You know, come for the monkey, stay for the lizard. I mean, it's still
0: good. Yeah. Um, summoned Daniel Cohen. Hi there. Uh, Hey, how's it going? Good. Welcome to uh, our exciting uh, Clubhouse Week in Review. Daniel uh, is our our resident. um, Oh, I I just want to remind you all that we are recording this for posterity, um, or at least uh, dexterity, and uh, and just in case anyone is reluctant to talk, but I don't think you are. Um, Daniel is our resident uh, odds maker and uh, gambling and gaming expert, and uh, he wrote a (laughs) couple of pieces this week. Um, one of which, uh, has, has really has taken off for us. Uh, he talked about who's going to be the permanent host of Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, Jeopardy, Jeopardy has, uh, you know, since the death of Alex Trebek, uh, well, not, they had some episodes in the can, but since the Alex Trebek episodes ed, ended, they've had this rotating, um, sl- slew of guest hosts and they, you know, they've gotten a lot of press and there's a lot of debate over who's going to finally, uh, fill the role, and so, Daniel, you laid the odds for who, who you think
2: that's going to be. Yeah, that's right, and, and 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 I think that before we, we sort of get into that, um, we should probably talk about an update that has happened since then, which was that uh, the host of the Tournament of Champions was announced, and it's no one on this list. It's Buzzy Cohen, who won it a few years ago and is sort of a well-known contestant of the past. Um, yeah. I think that's really interesting um and, 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 I, and I think the reason why it's interesting is that it's sort of it sort of seems to imply that the permanent host is someone that we 've already seen right because he 's not a serious candidate for the job, yeah. and if there was somebody who they wanted to anoint or 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 you know so to speak as as the chosen one, this would be a great time to put them and put them in, on the spot and put them on front on front of television viewers um you know, I. So you I, think,
0: Buzzy? You think Buzzy Cohen might be the one?
2: No, I don't. No, no, that's that's that, that's exactly the my point. My point is, that I, I don't, th- I don't think he's a serious, he's a serious candidate. I think he's there, um, as a familiar face, as you know, somebody who has TOC experience and sort of can lend some credibility to it, but.
0: Well, he also, I mean, has, he also has a lot of stage. Buzzy Cohen also has a lot of charisma and stage yeah. presence and a unique look, right? Sure.
2: Don't get don't don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I think that you know, I could I could plausibly see him hosting something. He definitely has the, you know, the chops to do it. It it just it, it I don't I don't necessarily. This this was sort of out of nowhere in the grand scheme of things. But but what I guess what I what I sort of thought about. This feels like kind of bad news for the Levar Burton uh, Levar Burton candidacy. Right, because it feels like this would have been sort of a, per- that, a per- perfect spot, if not anywhere else. You know,
0: I find the Levar Burton candidacy candidacy bizarre, honestly. Like, what what is that's what is that about?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've got a lot of thoughts on it, honestly, and and I think it's sort of it's understandable, but I think it kind of reflects, in other words, the the, the sort of groundswell popularity of it is understandable, but it sort of reflects this disconnect between. Uh, the contestants in the audience themselves, right, where, where it's just like the people that seem to be the loudest and the most passionate about getting LeVar Burton to be the permanent host are people that have been on the show or people that have some sort of connection to it. I mean, certainly you and I have, you know, heard those people a million times because we're part of those communities.
0: Right. Well, I want to add real quick that Daniel and I have both appeared on Jeopardy.
2: Right. Well, I assume that everyone listening to this knew that because we certainly, you know, are enshrined in the, in the immortals of the show's uh, – yeah, <laughs> for uh, sure. Neil, Neil, Neil actually won money on the show. I finished third. Um, but if you read the petition, and, and 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 you know, there's there's a quarter million signers or something. It's not nothing. Like the, the the crux of the argument is that it's it's Lavar was this, this sort of iconic figure to nerds growing up in the 80s and 90s, which is totally true. But it completely misses the point that Jeopardy's audience is mostly in their 80s and 90s at this point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Like I, think, right. I, think, I think the actual median age is somewhere in the in, in, in the 60s, but it's just like, look at the sponsors. The you know, look at look at the, the classics, the the gold bond medicated powder and Centrum Silver at, at all. Like, what do those companies possibly care about attracting Gen Xers and and you know millennials, right?
0: So I just feel like LeVar Burton obviously he's a very you know intelligent literate guy with a lot of screen presence and and experience but I feel like there's this sort of like I'm I'm kind of surprised honestly because we belong to this community how how, how woke and politicized the Jeopardy, at least the extremely online portion of the Jeopardy contestant community is you know it's like he's a black man I don't know I actually don't know if LeVar Burton is, is gay or straight I don't I don't care but, I don't know, you know no. Yeah, I mean, whatever. He's he 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 has this sort of quality of otherness. Uh, yeah, him, but the contesting community really want they want that representation on the page. I don't, I I don't, I don't think that's a bad you thing know?
2: either. I th- I, th- I so. think that if you're look if you're looking at, you yeah, know, of course not. If you're if you're looking at a way to sort of follow up like like Trebek had a thirty six year run or something as as host of this show. Like is the best way to do that and sort of bring the show into the twenty first century to bring another white dude in there. So it's a very valid question. Yeah, and sure, and, and there's definitely been some, uh, you know, in, in the last couple of years or so. This this is very inside baseball, but like the, the sort of new regime that took over has you know brought in a new a new production crew has brought in a new EP has either uh, sort of let go or kind of suggested the retirement of people associated with the show that, that the contestants really, you know, have a lot of affection for, have been on there.
0: Like, like, like contestant coordinators and, yeah. and what people, the people who, yeah. A
2: couple, a couple of people that have been the show for a very long time are no longer with the show. Right. And it's, right. it's even, 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 you know, irrespective of Trebek, by the sounds of things, a markedly different experience than it was, say, 10 years ago when I was on. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I wonder, like, does, does this sort of faction have a desire to put a stamp on the show and make it a completely new thing? And if so, like, uh, the other, the other theory I guess I have is that maybe this, maybe this whole charade is, is for nothing. It's, it's been his job, Burton's job, that is, all along. Like, it could be a contractual thing. It could be them ironing out the details. I don't know what he's going to cost relative to, you know, some of the other candidates. Like, right. Trebek, Trebek made a lot of money. I think I think it was around, like, $30 million a year or something. And I got to imagine that most of the, most of the folks on this list are going to make less than that. But, like, Maya Bialik who's yeah. another, another person who's going to guest host the show. She was doing Big Bang Theory and making $20 million or something an episode. Like, just – or season. Just completely – Insane Chuck Lorre sitcom money, you know. Oh no, I was going to say I I still ultimately think that it's probably Ken Jennings' job to lose, just because he checks most of the boxes. He's very familiar, you know. He's been sort of the face of the show for the last fifteen to twenty years. And even when he did the Greatest of All Time tournament last year, like I remember him making comments afterwards, like "This is the last time you'll see me on the stage." And it's like, wink. Did he know about that? You know, right.
0: It was it had long been rumored that Ken Jennings uh was gonna take over anyway. Right uh, even before Trebek passed away.
2: Right. So, and that's and that's uh, the thing, is is it's it's not out of nowhere. Like there's been chatter about this for years. It's not as yeah. though, you know, this is a completely new topic.
0: Right. All right, so K but Ken Jennings, you put him at plus one fifty. Uh yeah. What, yeah. He's your, he, was, he was the top of the list for you. With Burton as second, and then, and third is kind of a surprise for everybody. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, has been quite good hosting. I,
2: I think, I think Aaron Rodgers has been tremendous, and I, and I feel like he'd be, he'd be more lauded for the job he's done if so many people doing the lauding weren't so stuck on LeVar Burton, honestly. And, And look, they're entitled to feel that way, but it's like, Aaron Rodgers, a person with absolutely no experience hosting a game show, Comes in totally prepared with you know a point of view and like a a sense of empathy and decorum and all these things that like what 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 is he doing wrong? What is he doing wrong exactly? It's it's been great.
0: Humor, humor, and he looks good in a suit.
2: He he's got a little bit of John Hamm going on. It's 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 kind of uncanny.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very suave. And, you know, again, like, he does good impressions. He, his rapport with the contestants is decent. I mean, I, I, he's been my favorite of, of I, I thought Jennings was fine too. Uh, but he's been my favorite of the bunch. And then, and the other, you, you mentioned my ambiolic. Uh, there's no, I, I think the, we haven't seen her yet, but I think the odds of her getting the gig are, are pretty low.
2: I, 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 I do too. I want to reserve judgment on it just because, again, I, I think that there might be, uh, there might be a compelling reason to name a woman just for the sake of naming a woman. Um, mm-hmm. the, you know, she might she might do a very good job. It's not you know, sure. It's not like Maya Bialik hasn't been on television for the last thirty years and or doesn't have a PhD. Like she, right. She she is sort of the archetype of someone who could do this. Sure. Um, again, it's sort of hard to say without having seen it, but yeah, I could see it.
0: No, no one – I don't think anyone who's done it has done it other than – no one's done a bad <laughs> – Katie Kirk was fine. No one's done a bad job other than Dr. Oz. That was right. a, That was a, a legendary disaster.
2: I mean it's really hard Even to understate, a- understate how poorly that went. It was the first yeah. time I think the, like the cracks in the facade of the show have ever shown. Like, with the exception of, of when they were doing, like, weird spin-offs in Rock and Roll Jeopardy and things like that and diluting the brand. Like, the strengths of that brand over the last decade or so, and especially in Trebek's last few years, you know, their ratings went up. They, uh, the, you know, they, they were they were critically well-received, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, all of that goodwill evaporated in two weeks.
0: <laughs> Not only was there the pre-controversy, which we've talked about in here before about, about Dr. Oz's politics and his talking of questionable vitamin supplements, but also he just was an awkward kind of weird condescending jerk.
2: That's what, right. And that's, and that's what, that's what sort of came out this week in a ringer article was that a contestant complained that he sort of said something, said something critical about her performance within her earshot, which is a much, a much bigger, a much bigger faux pas than it seems because if you've been on set and you're aware of how, you know, encouraging and cool everybody is to have the host of the fucking show talking shit about you. <laughs> it's like,
0: uh, you know, I mean, I know Trebek was a, was a god and, and a genius and, and a great guy and all that, but he, he would he'd all he remarks. He'd that's, t- different. He'd he,
2: that's different. get tired. That's different. I mean, it's it's it was
0: it's not
2: show. it's it's not coming from that place, and 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 and, and I no. you know. It's funny, like I a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, was on the show during Dr. Oz's week and she didn't know who he was. She she vaguely knew the name, but she she was not um, not super plugged into like the daytime TV ecosphere enough to to recognize Mehmet Oz. So like she filmed, she won a game, she films, she flies back to North Carolina, and she's you know completely unaware that there's this controversy until there's this controversy. And the show yeah. was really, which, which was really interesting. The show was very, uh, they were very clear about the fact that they didn't want the contestants during his week to, to do any kind of pre-publicity for it. They couldn't right. say anything on social media. They couldn't promote their episodes until the day they aired. Like, it almost felt like they were trying to minimize blowback at the time. Yeah,
0: yeah. So just, lay, just lay low. Lay, lay low. No Doctor Oz. No. no just let, let, let's forget it ever happened. And you know, fortunately, Aaron Rodgers stepped in right afterwards and has taken a lot and has sort of restored goodwill. I think. I, yeah, you know, I think it's. Like I think it's. A, I think it's a really good point that if, if he hadn't been as good as he was,
2: this might have been a bigger situation.
0: Like a like like a good president after a bad president.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Re, 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 reclaiming the the reputation of the United States of, uh, around the world. I can't oh, wait! To, right. I
2: can't so, wait well, to read like a, like a nine hundred page Robert Caro book about late February on Jeopardy.
0: three parter three parts, yeah, three parts. Aaron Rodgers, the years of ascent. <laughs> so, all right, um, let's put here, Let's talk about top cap. Yeah, we'll also. Uh, you're also, you're an odds layer. You're like Jimmy the Greek, or uh well, we <laughs> call you the. We really can't call our odds layer the Jew. That would be you can't. Good. You,
2: can't call, you can't, I was gonna say there's one big difference between me and Jimmy the Greek, but if,
0: if I prick, if I prick you, do you not bleed? Um, so, um, all right, Top Chef has has, has uh, it came out. There was a Top Chef season that that aired. It, it, thing in the pandemic but that was filmed during pandemic right it, it it started it started, so it it started, started weird, like weird
2: March 19th so. like it was it was literally yeah. one of the first things that premiered right after quarantine started
0: it, yeah, and I was a weird I wrote an article about that then. It was a weird uh show then because you know these people like living like fat off land and enjoying the bounty of the earth while, while people were like waiting in line masked at restaurants. I mean not well, like, grocery stores, but restaurants were closing the millions. Going back, to, going, back would, going back
2: to what you and going back to what you and Stephen were talking about just re- recently, like there was an episode where they did cross promotion with Trolls World Tour, a movie no one could go see.
0: Yeah. 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 That was, that that, that was a a pretty lousy season, honestly. Uh, but this (laughs) season, this season is is more class, even though it's got some, there's some pandemic quirks, it's more classic top chef.
2: Uh, that's right. I mean, I I think that they, again, when you've got an all-star season, you sort of have, there's very little mystery in terms of who's going to do well at the end. I think that we kind of, you know, we, we knew everybody going in and some people we knew quite well. Like I think, what was it? Jen had been on the show four times.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. And then then in the middle, they bring back a character, Leanne, who's been on it eight times. And then she, she went out real quickly. She always has a heart attack when she's on the show.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) it's a pressure cooker, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: But this, Season is, this season is more of like your. It's it's more of a normal. You know, although you you point out there are some differences. Like this is like a, little, a lot of executive chefs and restaurant owners, no line cooks.
2: Right. Yeah. Everybody who's on the show right now has like some level of executive responsibility at a restaurant that's doing well or was doing well anyway. Um, yeah. And sort of like that's a pretty big change from the show. As it usually runs, where there are a few people that are very young or you know very early in their careers who are trying to sort of prove their mettle against people who've been doing this forever, and that's usually a really interesting driver of drama on Top Chef that we don't have. But I, I don't think it matters too much this year because yeah. there's so much other existential thing. So many other, so many other existential things happening in the restaurant industry that are like kind of yeah. inherently interesting to see these chefs sort of deal with. In the context of the show.
0: Like the collapse of their businesses and like the alcoholism. Two of them have admitted to have to have, like dissent alcoholism like yeah. during the pandemic, including the guy who's probably the who's your odds on favorite to win. He said, like, my restaurant's closed and I, I just started drinking alone at home. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> a real, win, that's, a real... <laughs> that's something <laughs> that like
2: it's not unusual for this show. You do hear about people's redemption yeah. arts and, and substance abuse struggles from time to time, but but you're right in that it feels like those cases this year are really compressed and sort of like underscore the severity of what must have been going on for all these all these folks who had to, you know, fire their friends and and, and all these things that are kind of unthinkable if if you're not in the business. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously like the chef as junkie is kind of a is, is like a well worn trope since Anthony Bourdain broke the seal. Um but yeah, but I just there, there were a couple of like well, one one of the women who she woman who was eliminated uh in the second week, Sasha Grumman, was talking about like her, her yeah. intense problems with alcohol. Um and which she clearly like, you know, she was not at the top of her game. Um I don't know if she's if she's still winning on last chance kitchen or you not. Know, yeah, she she did, she did yesterday, yeah. She's she what's what's funny about that is that
2: I thought she handled the discussion of her issues with a, a lot of, like, self-reflection and tact. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, again, as far as, like, the cooking the cooking at the top of her game thing is concerned, the dish that got her eliminated was a a pears dish with, with this woman, Brittany, who, uh, yeah. as nice of a person as she seems, was clearly in very over her head on the show. And, and Ma- knocked Ma- off last modern night. Alpine...
0: Modern Alpine cuisine.
2: Yeah, which we never actually saw, I don't think. Um,
0: well, once, once was a girl with a lonely with a lonely goater or something. How did that, that lyric go? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, she, she,
2: she did allude yeah. to making schnitzel last night, which would have been interesting to see with yeah. West, West yeah. African Spices. But
0: Her her, her fondue turned into fondant. Hello. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, uh, but, yeah. Uh, but she, yeah, she went out, that was Irish. She's the whitest contestant on the show and they had an African themed night. And she, she, she ate it hard.
2: Well, here's the thing about that, right? Like, you could look at the top and bottom of the competition last night and see her and Shota, right? A, 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 a German yeah. chef and a Japanese chef, neither of whose cuisines have any real sort of connection to, you know, Senegalese food. And one of them did very well and made it to the top, and one of them got kicked off. And I, it, it really sort of I think it highlighted what a, a, yeah. a, a difference in terms of, like, just sheer talent there was between the top and bottom of the of the field yeah. in this competition. Which often happens on, at the beginning of a season of Top Chef. Oh, that's 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 totally right. I mean, it's I, I think it's – if you go back almost every year, the chefs that wind up either winning or being there at the end are the ones who are winning at the beginning. Like, there's – there's. Yeah. Usually, to stand out in a crowd of 15 or 16 people, you need to be pretty good. Alright,
0: so let's talk about that. Let's talk about your top four then, real quick. Um, Shota sure. Nakajima uh, is the number one choice by far. Yeah. Um, he's a Japanese chef. Where is he from?
2: He's out of Seattle. Um, he's been tremendous through uh, every episode. He's really been, he has a point of view and he has a, you know, very practiced technique, but he's been able to sort of roll with, Different challenges, and, and you know, again, working with like West African spices and, and Japanese food is seems impossible, and he managed to do it really well. Yeah, yeah, he's
0: and he's got a and he's and he just seems like a I don't know he seems like a cool guy to me. I I like his persona, you know. Yeah, very, and, very, very and also his food, his food looks delicious. Uh, Sarah yeah. Howman is your number two choice. She's she's not someone I would necessarily picked out of the field, uh, but she, she's from Portland and she's kind of like a, 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 a kind of a. I guess sort of a culinary hipster type, but she's got like a low key attitude, and seems like a kind of comfort food chef. Yeah, I mean she's 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 she's, she's done some really really well,
2: some really interesting things. I thought that like, I thought that what she did last night she she did a she did a salt cod meant to look like pork floss, Mm -hmm. which is sort of a Chinese preparation. Um, but stayed very true, but stayed very true to the line as far as like the spicing is concerned. And the chefs loved it. Like, like yeah. her food is not you know, food is not the issue. As I was saying in the article, like, the issue is that she'll serve and then sort of assume that she's going to be on the bottom. And this has happened every single time now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, an, yeah. it's, anyway, really, it's really endearing, uh, right? Because you can tell that it's yeah, not no, She's, from, she's it's
0: definitely, like, like my, my wife, every year there's a chef who, like, you want to hang out with, right? My wife and her are like, oh, we want to hang out with Sarah. Yeah. Uh, like, Carrie Bear. cherry Bear was like, oh, we want to... We, like to hang out with Kerry Beard, you know.
2: You'd um, <laughs> like to eat a fancy toast with Kerry Beard. Yeah,
0: there's always there's, there's always like a, a, a friend chef you want to have. Um, G- Gabriel Pescuzzi, who's your number three choice, is not really a friend chef. He's I like wouldn't a snotty. I wouldn't
2: size. necessarily say that he's in the top three anymore either. Oh yeah.
0: Um,
2: yeah, he, he but he did. was
0: like a fine. He's like a fine dining chef from Portland.
2: Yeah, he runs a sandwich shop called Stacks. It's it's very well regarded. He won a bunch of awards. He told us about winning a bunch of awards. Yeah. Um, But, like, last night, he really – he almost didn't seem to take the challenge very seriously and sort of displayed a lack of familiarity with, you know, African-American influenced cuisine that that seemed kind of – I mean, it seemed very Portland of him, let's be honest, but – yeah. Pretty he's out of place.
0: White, but he was but, but, but he was a good enough chef. He was a good enough chef, like technically to survive. Right. Yeah,
2: that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't the issue. But it's like, you know, he was talking about his, his marination and like quote unquote red stew, like using the air quotes and everything. It just seemed a little bit almost sort of borderline, disrespectful to what they were actually asked to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Which again, uh he's, Don Burrell, on the other hand, who
2: Yeah, I I was just going to point out that Gabriel's getting the the villain at it, so that may not be necessarily his fault.
0: He's he's the closest thing that this season comes to a villain. This is a very nice season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Don Burrell uh, got the hero at it last night. She's a former Olympic long jumper, uh, a a black chef who um, who who really thrived in the African challenge last night.
2: It was, yeah, it was it was really interesting to see the, the contrast between her and Kiki, who yeah. is an African-American chef who, who like, directly works with African flavors. Don, yeah. you know, I, I think Kiki's, Kiki's problem was, was just too much orthodoxy, whereas Don sort of took it as inspiration to do her own thing, but sort of, you know, still reflect the ingredients that, that she'd been exposed to during the, the restaurant tour, which is exactly what they asked her to do. Yeah. But she made a sauce that was apparently just the greatest sauce anyone had ever had. Yeah, it looked pretty saucy. I mean, it
0: looked good, and you know, and, and and whatever. It was a very meaningful week to her, so it was cool, you know. And actually, when the episode was over, my wife and I were like googling African restaurants in our area. We were like, "Oh, we got to now. We got to go eat some. We uh, got to go eat some <laughs> foo foo." Uh, but you know, it's I live in Austin, so choices are thin. <laughs> There's a few. Uh, yeah. I, I, real quick, speaking of Austin, I wanted to talk about Gabe or Alice, uh Yeah. And, and, he um he was I that's the one chef of of the group whose food I've actually eaten. He run he he until December was the culinary master behind Commodore, which is an yeah. excellent Mexican regional restaurant in downtown Austin. I, he had these for my he had these bone marrow tacos was his um uh, was his sort of signature ingredient from for my birthday this year when we were quote unquote on lockdown we actually we do it yourself bone yeah. marrow taco we ordered. We made it, we heated it up and prepared it ourselves, and boy, was it <laughs> good. Um, so, uh, man. Um, anyway, gate was fired from Commodore for reasons that they yeah. haven't like,
2: completely. It's, it's right. There's no, no, it no sounds, reason. Was,
0: it, it sounds, me too ish, though.
2: It sounds very me too ish. No reason, no reason was officially given, but it didn't sound like, it didn't sound like it was a very, uh,
0: convivial parting let's say right so you know Gabe is like I mean he's he's, he's a good chef, you know yeah you know and so like oh my god what if he went? well that's you the know? thing is
2: that he's if you if you just look at the show itself and sort of just go off of the visual language of the show he's getting a good guy at it too and actually seems like a very good guy to work with like he's you know, he's when he worked with with Maria, they they hit it out of the park with with the Mexican dish, and like yeah. his stuff looks very solid. Um, like the only sort of troubling thing that I can tell so far, again we're three episodes in, is the fact that he has this, you know, potential whatever me Too-ish thing, let's say, hang, hanging over him. But
0: that yeah. happened after the
2: show was filmed,
0: right? Maybe he won Top Chef and it was all got got all cocky. <laughs> And it's like, I, hey, <laughs> hey, yeah. Here's a, here's a margarita. I don't know. I know that sounds terrible, but it's like, yeah. Uh, but I mean, but people,
2: like, people, people from happens, the show that have that have that have those issues later on tend to usually reveal themselves well. early. Like I, I, you yeah. know, well, <laughs> Mike so, you Mike you Isabella know, is a classic example of this, where it's like when Mike Isabella like, had a sexual harassment oh, scandal yeah. at his restaurant group, no one was surprised.
0: Right, Mike Isabella, who was. Uh, on probably the best season of Top Chef, sort of talent wise, ever, and somehow yeah, the Vegas,
2: to, the Vegas season, yep.
0: We we with the with the um, Voltaggio brothers and Kevin Gillespie managed to somehow we <laughs> way into the finals, and I'm like, this guy, you're, this. I mean, I I dude, ate at off. Mike's
2: rest at Mike's restaurant in D.C. He had a, like a, a New Jersey style Italian restaurant called Graffiato. I ate there a couple times, and it was delicious, right? Like, it's. Well, I'm it's, sure.
0: I mean, these, these people don't get on Top Chef because they're bad, right? You know, um, but yeah, but but, but I didn't I didn't know about his scandal, but that that's very interesting. Although one, the one thing I'll say is like Austin has has had a bad track record. You know, it's like Paul Key, he was one of the best chefs in the history of Top Chef, he won, right? And then yeah. he was like completely disgraced with a you know he had drug and alcohol and girlfriend abuse his scandals, and his his career is pretty much in the toilet be, So. Yeah, I, mean, and, and, I guess and Austin shouldn't is, put its <laughs> Austin shouldn't put its top chefs on a pedestal.
2: You know I'm uh, yeah, Austin, I don't know what that says about the city. I don't, I don't think it says too much, right? Like, I, I think no, that, like, no, most the, most of the time, obviously because they do background checks, like these things happen after someone's been on the show. Um, and this is right, this right, isn't right. Ex- This is,
0: Paul is had thrown, if Paul Key had thrown his girlfriend across the room as only top chef before top chef, I don't think they would have cast him.
2: Right, he would have landed in the bottom three at least once. But it's um, he would
0: have had to be on guys' grocery games. I
2: don't, I, I don't want to make that sound like an excuse because it's not an excuse. No. But I think that it's worth sort of examining what kind of spotlight this this show puts chefs in who maybe aren't prepared for it yet. Which goes back to what I was initially saying about the the show, the season where it's all executive chefs. Like, I've got a hunch that probably with, with you know, the obvious exception that, that disproves my hunch of Gabe, we aren't going to see too much, you know, drop bad stuff, bad stuff come out of this season, just because these people have too much to lose already.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and uh, yeah, it's just a relief to have Top Chef back. It's one of those shows where I'm like, oh, it's like it's total appointment television. It's
2: um, it's a br- it's a brilliant show. If you if you if you've been away from it for a year and sort of dealing with, you know, the alternatives that are on television for, in 2020, it's like, oh yeah, this is how you're supposed to do this show. It's 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 completely right. you know singular.
0: I'll, Richard Blaze still annoying.
2: <laughs> one of the one of the funny things is when whenever Richard Blaze. Richard Blaze got a Food Network deal, and so he had to start doing things like Guy's Grocery Games a few years back. And in the early seasons of that show, go back and check out whenever Richard Blaze was a judge, and he looked so dead-eyed and so unhappy to be there because the idea of hanging out in Flavortown was so beneath him. (coughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then the checks came, and it was fine. For
0: sure. Yeah, right. Uh, And at the best moment of the season so far when, when his hair his hair in the first in the first challenge is so horrible <laughs> they Padma mocked him and then he went back to your normal hairstyle what was he doing anyway I wanted to bring Omar up finally hello Omar you, you still listening
3: hi I'm, I'm here I'm awake
0: how you, how, you, how you doing
3: I'm doing good
1: how are you
0: I'm fine um so uh, we did some movie, we had, ran some movie reviews this week. We ran a uh, Kristen Clifford, who has not appeared, uh, reviewed Thunder Force, uh, mm-hmm. starring Melissa McCarthy and Oscar Spencer. Did you suffer through Thunder Force?
3: I have not seen that yet, no. But I, but I, yeah, am, I, I am a I, Melissa McCarthy it. apologist. I, I've watched pretty much all of her movies, even the, the Ben Falcone ones. And uh, I'm still in the tank yeah. for Melissa McCarthy, no matter how many times she hurts me with her movies. So
0: you're, so, so you're going to watch Thunder Force.
3: Uh, probably. I didn't make it through the Bobby Cannavale romance, the last one, but I, I will probably watch this one. Well,
0: what was the? What was her last? It wasn't the Heat? Was it?
3: It was like inconceivable or indestruct. I don't know what it, it was. A romantic comedy with Bobby Cannavale, I think. On, uh wasn't it? Is that? Am I, am I imagining that?
0: I, I don't know. I've never. I did not hear of it. I mean, the the, the in general, I I did not. The Heat was probably the the best of the of the Ben Falcone, Melissa McCarthy movies, and I, I did not like it. Was, <laughs> yeah, like and it Spy, really. was,
3: Spy was probably the best of her non-Falcone oh, Spy. movies. Spy. Was, Spy was, was fantastic. Was
0: funny. Spy was pretty yeah. funny, but <clears throat> I mean, I, Thunder Force was so lousy, and I mean, how many more takes on, on, superhero, on comic takes on the superhero genre can I possibly stomach? The answer is zero. Um, but whatever, Kristen liked it, and it is the most popular movie on Netflix, which is why uh we featured it uh you you, on the other hand watched a sort of an obscure i would call it like like uh indie black jackass bad trip right with starring eric i think it was
3: i think it i think it did well on netflix it was it it kept showing up in my top 10 on whenever i pulled up netflix so it it did well for at least a week
0: eric Eric andre has his has his followers What, what is bad trip
3: uh Bad Trip is is, is uh, it actually I think it is, is produced by some of the Jackass people. It was kind of a crossover between what Eric Andre does on the Eric Andre show on Adult Swim for I guess five seasons now and in uh, and kind of what the Jackass people do which is sort of the hidden camera prank, you know, scripted movie like Bad Grandpa. Um kind of along those lines but but it but what I where I've been a fan of Eric Andre is on that Adult Swim show. For, at least for the first few seasons he was really subverting the idea of the talk show and really taking it to a very dark destructive weird uh, place and and I feel like that show has sort of lost a lot of that and has turned into just, just basically a, <clears throat> a string of pranks and bringing on D-list celebrities to embarrass them it, it's sort of turned into something else. So Eric Andre, I have very mixed feelings about because I think he was doing something really brilliant for a while. And then he sort of started playing into the, the kind of frat boy comedy thing, and well, now it happened, feels like right. he's just doing that.
0: Right. What well, happened? It happened. It became. It became sort of hip. Eric, the Eric Andre show became hip in a certain way, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, right. And so, so it, like, like I think what happened maybe at the, toward the end of the Nick Kroll show too, it went from being this sort of avant-garde surreal comedy thing to being some, like another cool place where comedie, comedy celebrities could like be guests.
3: Yeah, and Eric Andre did a stand-up special for Netflix. Um, I believe last it, it went up last year, and again, like I, I think he's brilliant. But I, th- I felt like the act was very performative in that yeah. vein of like I'm going to do the gross-out, stupid pot humor stuff to appeal to this audience instead of sort of subverting that, which is what he used to do. So I, I my, yeah, I, I know that
0: yeah. my my 18 year old son loves him, loves. Him. I
3: do too. I think he's I think he's brilliant. I just don't really like the trajectory that he's gone on. Uh, yeah. where from, you know, subverting it to actually embodying that, that sort of humor. And this movie sort of falls in between because I do think there's some interesting, funny, subver- subversive things in it. Um, but it, it really is just a prank, you know, a string of pranks strung together, yeah. uh, by a very loose script, uh, and then add Tiffany Haddish to it, um, and Lil Ray Howard.
0: What's, what's the name of his psychic? Del, something, 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 Del something, I don't remember. It's not a name. Oh, um, uh, Lil Rel Howard.
3: Was, was yes yeah yeah from 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 get out and, and other films he who's was really i mean who's sort of toned down in this movie he's not as his, his usual uh self uh as much but he's still very funny and then there's there's some outtakes at the end where he's even funnier I, I i you know i wish there was a little bit more of him sort of freaking out like he does so oh, well right. um, he, he was he was daniel
0: kalua's funny friend in, in
3: get out yeah and, really and really he's, he's fantastic yeah he's very very funny
0: yeah Right, that's right. And I remember that. I remember that now. He's also on an episode of uh, this season's "Nailed It" on
3: Netflix. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, Judge this season. That's right. Uh, so he's great. I mean, and tiff, tiff, and I mean, what really took this movie to the next level for me, apart from maybe three really, really well staged pranks, uh, really over the top, uh, is is Tiffany Haddish, who was sort sure. of a revelation to me in this movie. I've seen her in so many sort of God middle of the, the road,
2: uh-huh, yeah, yeah,
3: not great comedies. Like she kind of says yes to everything. <laughs> Uh, and she's very good in this. She's really goes goes way beyond, and uh, seems very dangerous, and uh, really genuinely scaring people in this movie, in these pranks. Yeah. So I think she's fantastic in it, and so I think it, it works better than I was expecting. I thought the first twenty minutes are really dicey, like I don't know if I'm going to stick with this, and then it gets very good in the middle, and then it kind of trails off toward the end.
0: All right. Uh, all right. Yeah, Tiffany Haddish was uh, one of the stars of. Uh of night school, which is one of the most god awful movies I've ever seen in my life. That was. That was she's
3: been in some pretty. She's in the Salma Hayek uh, beauty industry movie. That's not very good either. Yeah. With Rosemary. Stephen,
0: review that. Stephen, review that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call Stephen up. Back up to the mic.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and uh, Tiffany. Uh, Tiffany Haddish.
1: Tiffany <laughs> Haddish. Uh... Funny. Say say <laughs> no to funny. some scripts though. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. She's not discriminating, in. but, you know, she's, uh, she's not a young, uh, spring chicken. She's, she's, she's cashing in.
3: Yeah, even if you are are you,
0: are you cooking lunch or doing dishes or something there?
3: I'm insta I'm multitasking. Oh. Of course. What are, what are you making? Uh, uh, some, just some Spanish, some Mexican rice.
0: Mm, that sounds good. Omar, you are food. top chef. You are, you are book and world top chef. Um, I've
3: got some carnitas on the grill right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you, have you, did you eat a commodore?
3: Uh, Uh, no, but I've heard, I've heard great things. No, I've heard great things about it. No, no, no. I I never got to eat there.
0: It's like Reese's peanut butter cups, but for, but for, for, for rich people who like Mexican food, you put your bone marrow (laughs) in in my tacos. Uh, All right. So Steven, uh, you, we bringing up the last, but certainly not least, you wrote about, we finally wrote about my octopus teacher uh, on the, on the site this week, the, the, the creepy octopus sex movie. Is, is that
1: Or is that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's you know, neither creepy nor, uh, sexy. frankly. frankly. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I don't get anybody's hopes up, but, yes, no. uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you know, every, uh, every year there, are, there are a handful of movies that I always hear about and just never get around to watching. And this was one of those where I was like, yeah, right. I mean, I get from the title what it's going to be. I don't need to watch this. Uh, and, uh, and I was pleasantly surprised, you know, as, as I usually am with things that are very word of mouth and that keep popping up in conversation and, you know, um eventually when I get around to it, um either, you know, the little, as Edward G. Robinson would say, the little man in my stomach, you know, was right in saying it's a piece of crap or, uh, I'll, I'll, it, I'll 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 say to myself, yeah, it's a piece of crap, but actually, I can see why this is really appealing to so many people. And yeah. this was a bit of a mix of that for me. I mean, <clears throat> I think there's some really boneheaded, cloying uh, kind of human interest stuff that is not interesting um, in in the film, and they really should have just cut that out and just centered on the octopus. And you know, anthropomorphizing any animals always makes me crazy uh because you know they're animals they're not humans we can't just because a dog looks at you lovingly doesn't mean that he's in love with you you know as much as we want to believe that love, my dog is in love with me my my dog is completely in love with me and i completely emotionally understand my dog um but you know let's face it we're lying to ourselves but right just because they're not emotional my support he's animals not my <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the thing is like you could uh totally strip out this guy's you know, new agey, self-soul-searching, you know, voiceover and put in Herzog's, you know, completely stare into the abyss, you know, uh Bavarian intonations and have yeah. a completely different movie that is it no less better. or more... Yeah, and it's no more or less accurate than what you're actually seeing on screen. Because, you know, the, as he would say, the ecstatic truth of the octopus is that an octopus is amazing. And this, you know... This movie is at its best when it's just focusing on that instead of this sad man's, you know, lonely voyage to the bottom of the ocean to, you know, commiserate and possibly romantically long for this, you know, cephalopod.
0: What a weird so, movie. What a weird movie. It's, My God. it's a weird
1: movie. But, you know, it's funny because you and I were talking yesterday about, you know, um, what, what, what is really interesting about this. And you had pointed out, you know, this is a real outlier in terms of getting a best documentary not so yeah. I, with an eye towards that, I, I, that's how I was watching it and really thinking to myself, okay, now why, why was this? Was it Netflix just kind of pushing its movies and maybe they just hired a very effective, you know, PR machine to, to, uh, push its mm-hmm. stuff? Or is there something People more like to animals. this? People like animal People stuff, but like not enough. I mean, they didn't like Gunda enough to give that, uh, an Academy Award nomination. And that was the one that I think most, um, kind of, prognosticators were putting their money on because it had such a pedigree and it was black and white and it was austere and it played from festivals and everybody from paul thomas anderson to you know like lynn ramsey and all these other filmmakers were like head over heels with it and joaquin phoenix was executive producing it. so like to to see my octopus teacher there instead of gunda is is definitely a pivot um maybe and speaks to also i think this film's chances of being that crowd-pleaser documentary like March of the Penguins right. that, you know, well, well but, but it's, interesting, big
0: it's, it's interesting in a year where the Oscars have been widely criticized for being elitist and snotty and, and not populist at all. This is like the one movie that like kind of rose up out of, from the people.
1: Yeah, by Oscar for but. sure. And, you know, as we were saying earlier, like, you know, would it coulda, if, if this were a world where movie theaters were open this would be such catnip for repeat audiences, for family audiences, for thought pieces, you know, newspapers and magazines and TV shows would be, you know, really having a ball with this because it is photogenic and it is relatable and it is, and it makes you feel good about yourself after you see it. It makes you think, oh, we have to, you know, all uh, work towards preserving, you know, the, the circle of life. And, yeah, and, that's, how, that, that's
0: how I feel after watching a Dodgers game. <laughs> exactly. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I, 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 just, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I um, I, I like the idea of, I like the idea. I wish the octopus had lived more than a year because it could go on the talk shows. Well, that's yeah, exactly. I well, mean, that's well, the, well I, yeah, I do have a question so though, good. important question, Stephen. Does the octopus like an Aquaman? Does the octopus in this movie play the drums?
1: Play the drums during a huge like underwater uh, melee? I, that, I wish, but you know time. what? Actually. After this movie, seeing Aquaman, I would have said that's ridiculous. Now, after seeing my octopus teacher, I would think, you know what? He probably could do that, or she, rather, she, her. Well, they never really, you know, it's her. almost like the Spike Jones movie. They never really give her a name. It's yeah.
0: just her. What's her pronoun? She just has a pronoun. Um, so, he <laughs> her. But I will um, say, I will
1: say, you know, in the movie's defense, and I talk about this uh, briefly in the context of Free Solo, the camera work is amazing, and it it also makes me think. Good Lord, just like superhero movies and CGI. CGI has gotten to the point where superhero movies are uh, possible in a way that they couldn't and weren't 30 years ago, where they looked ridiculous and now they look actually very plausible. Um, the camera work is so sophisticated, and I would think nature photography has just gotten so astounding over the past 10, 15, 20 years. You know, the digital cinematography is yeah. outstanding i mean it's the, the, just incredible and and the filmmaking behind it i mean the way this was edited together of course while you watch this movie you're you you if you're skeptical and some would say cynical you know which i am sometimes um you could a cynic would look at this movie and be and and say and take apart every scene and say there's no way this was filmed in the way that they are suggesting or assuming or emotionally conveying uh this clearly was stitched together from multiple yeah. angles and multiple days. And there, and, and maybe even, dare I say it, with multiple octopi, you know? Because, oh no. I don't know. Yeah. And the like thing the is, Olsen this twins? octopi. Yeah, exactly. I totally Olsen twinned this movie. They must have Olsen twinned this movie. You, there's no, as, you like, come on. You got this all in a year, and that happens to be the exact footage you need for that exact moment. You know, it's like, there's the moment of discovery. There's the moment of revelation. Like, all these things that he's telling in this story, they happen to have footage of. You know, yeah. so recreation or found footage or repurposed, regardless, the it, from a narrative point of view, it's completely speechless. From a filmmaking point of view, it is really astounding and very impressive.
0: Yeah. Well, ironically, the you know the octopus is a star, but but its sister Elizabeth Octopus in a few years is going to be the big star.
1: Yeah. Exactly, and have her own Wandavision octopus show. Octopus vision.
0: All right. Well, we talked a lot about octopuses today, so I thought I would end the show with the um, with the amazing opening title sequence song from the movie Octopuses. Anyone remember what that song was? That's right. Mm. It was All Time All Time High by Rita Coolidge. Um, and, uh, and that Octopussy is a terrible movie, but it does have one of the best uh, opening sequences of any James Bond movie. It's the one where he like flies the jet around, and is chased by the missile, and he like flies the. Jet through the warehouse and the missile explodes in the warehouse and then he runs out of fuel and then like pulls up to a gas station in this like jet and is like Roger Moore's like fill her up and then it goes into this ridiculous title sequence with naked women and bullets. And anyway, this has been... Um, we're going to play that song. We're going to play it out. Uh, this has been, been Book and Film Globe Week in Review. I'm Neil Pollock, the editor of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. uh very grateful to have been joined by um, some of my amazing contributors today. Uh, it really is a privilege to edit this site. It really is uh, better than... Uh, that it deserves to be. And uh, I hope that uh, you all can check it out and become part of our thriving community of book and film lovers. And thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.
3: I always value books and films and good TV. But now, during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. BookandFilmGlobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read interviews with directors concise reviews of hot new books actors describing classic scenes it's all on bookandfilmglobe.com and there are three rotten tomato certified reviewers so you know you're getting good advice check out book and film globe that's bookandfilmglobe.com